Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Scott, do you ever dream about this music? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I do like it, though. I like it, too. It's good. Here we go. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Annalise Finney. Just as Black History Month was beginning, members of California's Legislative Black Caucus announced a package of bills designed to turn some of the recommendations from the state's reparations task force into a reality. That task force spent a couple of years studying a wide range of potential compensations for black Californians. And last June, it released a comprehensive report detailing how state policies related to education, health care, housing, and other sectors have systematically discriminated against black residents since the state's founding. The package of bills announced last month means some of those proposals will soon be up for debate in Sacramento. California is the first state in the nation to consider a statewide reparations plan, and it's very controversial. Joining us now to dig into some of what got us to this point and what these bills mean for California is L.A. Times columnist Erica D. Smith. Hey, Erica. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Well, let's uh, try to get everybody on the same page here. As I mentioned, you know, California wasn't a slave state per se, Mm -hmm. but there's a history here very much related to slavery. Describe that a bit, if you would, and, uh, you know, how it led to a reparations task force. Yeah. So, I mean, the reparations task force started uh, back during the the height of the pandemic in 2020 off of a bill that was uh, put forth by then Assembly member Shirley Weber, now Secretary of State. Um, This task force, nine members, looked for the better part of two years trying to understand what the legacy of racism and, and slavery has been in California. And they put forth, um, you know, a couple of years after they started their work, Uh, this very lengthy report kind of detailing many, many things, but among them about how California was involved. And like, as you said, California was not a, you know, direct slave state, but um, the policies that came out of slavery, the, the racist, the discrimination, the government policies like redlining, for example, um, some other things that affected income inequality, some of the things that we see today um, in the black population here in California, they've been able to trace back specifically to policies that were, um, coming out of the times of slavery and reconstruction. So that that link there, it may not be as direct as, say, some southern states, but um, the legacy of slavery and the legacy of systemic racism that came out of those policies is very much clear here in California. Although, yes, you're right, we were not a slave state. We did have policies. We were a, We allowed people who had owned slaves to come to California and bring them back if they had escaped, right? So it's not just that we weren't a slave state per se, but, you know, there were things happening during and before the Civil War as well, right? 
Yo, absolutely. I mean, we had, you know, as you said, allowing slaves to come, people be escaped and slaves to come back. Um, we had people here um, that were, you know, part of those policies. But I think so much of the report focuses less so on that direct historical uh, record at that time, but really more about the government policies that evolved out of Reconstruction, evolved out of slavery, um, and, and things that have basically kept African Americans, you know, down economically. Um, have uh, we've seen evolved into the criminal justice system? Various different things like that that have evolved out and brought into the recommendations that the task force put forth. So, Erica, can you tell us a little bit about what some of those recommendations are? Yeah, I mean, so there's they've been broken down into several different categories, but one of them I think we've heard a lot about is cash payments. Um, and that is something that um, is talking about the financial gap that we've seen in wealth between African-Americans and other people of other races here in California. But there were a number of areas that were focused on housing was a big one. Um, racial covenants that, you know, basically kept black people from buying houses in specific neighborhoods. Um, other policies like redlining that devalue the homes that black people have or had at that time um, was a big part of it. Criminal justice reform was another thing that was looked at very closely. We've seen the um, over-incarceration, over-policing of black populations, particularly during the war on drugs and prior to that. Um, there were a lot of things focused on education, uh, looking at uh, having more investment in, in public schools because of the way uh, that Black students were not given the equal education as students of other races. So there's a number of number of recommendations that focus on a lot of different areas. Um, they didn't come up with a specific number on cash payments uh, as far as like saying, you know, each Black Californian is owed X number of dollars. But they were able to look at things like on a scale, like, for example, if you lived in a city uh, between X number of years and this number of years and you bought a house, this is what your house would have been worth if these policies that government had implied, whether it was a racial covenant, whether it was redlining, your house would have been owed this. And therefore, you government could look at a specific dollar amount in that range is how they tried to calculate it, for example. You've been pretty critical uh, of the package of bills that was released at the end of January. You say some of the bills are half-baked. Uh, you said that there isn't really a cohesive vision for this. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that, you know, over the summer after the task force wound down its work um, with, frankly, a lot of hype and hoopla, people were very excited because this report is very lengthy and very comprehensive. But I mean, I think people were looking for a vision of what reparations is and is not because reparations as a concept is something that is still very much up for debate uh, in terms of whether reparations is cash, whether reparations is something else. Um, and so I think the policies and the bills that have come forth so far, and again, we're still seeing them being introduced and refined, uh, have not kind of lived up to the vision that I think a lot of people wanted to see, including myself. Um, not to say that that won't happen in the coming weeks, but I think we were, I think a lot of people, a lot of activists, a lot of other folks who have been following us very closely, we're looking for California to set forth a vision for what reparations could be for Black Californians. And I think that in the mix of bills that have come out so far, there's not really that cohesive vision yet. And I wonder, can you detail a little bit more about what a cohesive vision would look like? I mean, I think there's an idea of what do we prioritize, right? Um, there's been... Um, you know, there's lots of different ways you can go with this. Um, I think that the budget deficit in California does put some um, limits on how much 
uh, cash or how much financial payments could be put out. But there's also, you know, things we prioritize. Do we prioritize housing? We see uh, a disproportionate number of African-Americans who are among the homeless population here in California and frankly elsewhere throughout the country. That didn't happen by accident. That happened because of housing policies. Do we focus on home loans? Do we focus on getting people uh, you know, back on their feet that way. Is education another uh, area that we should be focused on? There's a, there is an entire suite of recommendations in this report. But from looking at the bills that have been introduced, it's not really clear where, you know, the emphasis should be. And also, I think a lot of the bills that were introduced kind of feel a little bit like parts of bills that lawmakers had introduced in the past or wanted to introduce and have kind of brought back. And the connection between what's in the reparations report and their bill is not clear. Uh, and I think that that has led to a lot of confusion on on the part of kind of where we stand in terms of what is our vision going to be. We do have a big budget deficit in California. But one thing that doesn't cost any money would be an apology uh, for mm-hmm. the state's role in all this. How likely do you think that is to make it through the legislature? And what difference would that make? I know. I do think that actually is very likely. There's actually um, there's a resolution and there's a bill on tap. The resolution would kind of take what's the bulk of what's in the report that the task force came up with, boil it down, kind of summarize the findings and put it in a resolution that the legislature would approve. And that would kind of uh, bring that to the front. And then on top of that, there'd be an apology that would be an apology based on what the resolution has said. So it's kind of a two-step process. I think both of those are probably pretty likely to get through. I mean, to your point, it doesn't cost anything. I think the political upside for our Democrat-led legislature would be good, particularly this time. Um, of our history, um, what we're seeing in national politics. So I think that that's the obvious, easiest thing. And I do think when faced with an apology coming from the state legislature, coming from the governor on behalf of the state of California, it will make a difference. All right. We're going to take a short break and then we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with KQED's Annalise Finney. We're talking about a package of bills recently released by the state legislature's Black Caucus, bills aimed at addressing the legacy of systematic racism in California stemming from slavery. And let me pick back up with this, the package of bills, Erica. Um, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of things happen independently of the governor, and then the governor decides what to happen, what he does when it happens to reach his desk. What are your thoughts about Gavin Newsom? He has often said, well, I want to see what the recommendations are. Now there's bills that have, you know, been introduced. He hasn't really said very much. Like, would you like to see him be more involved? And what would that involvement look like? Yeah, of course, I'd love to see him more involved. I mean, remember, he was the person that signed the initial bill to create the task force in the first place. And so, you know, he was very adamant and about, uh, you know, the possibility and the potential of this task force back in 2020, when we were all in the midst of this racial reckoning in in this country. And now that we've kind of moved beyond this, we're in the year 2024. There's a clear backlash to that racial reckoning. It'd be great to see the governor come out and continue to be supportive of this task force. Um, I think that there's been some hesitancy, obviously, on his part because of the budget deficit, because of his intentions to not kind of bite off more than he can chew. Do you, on think, that do you think he sees it as a liability potentially? We all know he has you know, national aspirations. Oh, yeah. I think he does. I absolutely think he he does see the potential for this becoming a liability. But I also hope he sees this as a potential for this being something that could benefit him. I think that there's nothing like having a governor of the country's most liberal state supporting black people if he has national you know rep- expectations to be president, as most people think that he does. Um, you know, that's a powerful thing to say. Not only did California study and research this first, but California acted first to kind of right some of these racial inequities that so dominate so much of our political discourse today. Um, so yeah, I would love to see him be more active and actually help come up with a vision for what reparations could be alongside members of the Legislative Black Caucus. Um, Erica, there are a number of polls out that say that voters in California are very skeptical of the idea of cash payments. And you mentioned that earlier as one of the things that the task force put forward as kind of a keystone part of its reparations plan. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why you think that there's this particular resistance to cash payments as a form of reparations. I mean, I think that, you know, people are just unnerved about the idea of giving somebody a blank check. I don't think that it's necessarily be Black people or anybody else. I think that as Americans, I think there's this idea of giving giving people money for something. It just kind of is appalling to people. I, I don't know what, you know, I guess maybe it's our our work ethos or something about like that. But I do think when it comes to when it comes to black people and I think reparations, I think there is a natural resistance being like, well, I wasn't alive when this happened. This didn't, you know, I didn't d- directly contribute to this problem. It's not my fault that, you know, you have uh, a poor education or the fact that you're homeless or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so people feel like, why should they take money out of their hard earned tax dollars to give to people who are, you know, in a financially not so great situation? And, you know, one of the things that uh, one of the members of the task force, who's also the Legislative Black Caucus, uh, Senator Steve Bradford oft- often says, is if you can, ad- you can inherit uh, generational wealth, you can also inherit generational debt. And so I do think there's something to be said about this idea of righting wrongs, that it's not just about policies, but it is about 
policies and finances, because that's really what it comes down to. But, you know, making that argument in a way that the majority or even, you know, a slight majority of Californians can understand and agree is very much an uphill battle, just taking even the legislature out of it. You know, San Francisco has its own process uh, mm-hmm. in this regard, and there was a recommendation from a task force here to give a $5 million payment to people who are eligible. The mayor, who is black herself, mm-hmm. uh, London Breed, did not put that in her budget. She did not really warm to that idea. And I know Los Angeles uh, you know, also has a black woman as their mayor, uh, Karen Bass, and L.A. is also considering this as an option. What, what, what is your sense of the, the vibe, <laughs> if I can use that <laughs> word, down there around that idea? Yeah, I mean, I, our process has not gotten to the point that San Francisco's has yet. Uh, as far as I know, Mayor Karen Bass has not really come out one way or the other, pro-reparations, anti-reparations, pro-cash payments, anti-cash payments. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that she's probably interested maybe in the idea. But, you know, I, I think that as long as the state and as long as cities are feeling a budget crunch and as long as they're looking around and seeing that, you know, we have to deal with and homeless population and other expenses, I think it's going to be a hard, hard sell, frankly, for a lot of our state politicians, even if they are black. Um, but part of that is, again, the public sentiment on it. And I think some of that comes back to the education about why this is even necessary to begin with. And so I think there's a lot of pieces missing before we can even get to the point of we're going to give $5 million to every resident of San Francisco who you know, is a descendant of somebody who was enslaved. Um, I think there's a lot of public education and a lot of just narrative building that has to happen before we even get there. And Lisa, I know you've done a lot of reporting on this issue. And um, you know, we mentioned the effort in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. I think New York State is also doing uh, a study on this. What is your sense of how what California is doing compares to what's happening in other places? Well, you know, California is, as you mentioned before, the first state in the nation to take this on at the statewide level. But reparations have been an issue that people have been considering, and in particular, Black Americans have been asking for since the end of slavery. I think it was in 1989, uh, there was a a bill in the U.S. Congress that was introduced. It really hasn't gone anywhere, but it's called H.R. 40. And for a long time, people have been asking for a reparations plan that would close the racial wealth gap. And people say that's only possible to achieve at the national level. Now, California, a lot of people in the legislature who supported the initial study said that they didn't want to wait for the federal government to do something. People have waited long enough. And so this is the state trying to kind of take that on and push the ball forward, even though the federal government isn't quite there yet. Well, and Erica, it's interesting that, yes, California is doing this, New York State is doing it, L.A., San Francisco. There are, I don't think, any states who actually had slavery (laughs) who are considering something like this. I think maybe there's a city in Georgia, not Atlanta, one of the smaller cities that's considering that. What do you make of that? You know, in many cases, these states are still defending Confederate statues and flags. And, you know, Nikki Haley had a hard time remembering what the Civil War was about. Yeah, she did have a hard time with that. Um, no, I think part of the reason these, you know, the tr- traditional slave states aren't considering is because they're run by Republicans and their legislators are dominated by, you know, the the GOP. Um, but it's, you know, several others. Evanston, Illinois is another city that's actually gone forward with some reparations policy. So there are several states that are kind of following California's lead on this. And it's just a matter of seeing how that's going to play out. But I do think California is definitely a leader, at least in getting this far. 
You know, Erica, there was an interesting column in the SF Chronicle over the weekend where columnist Justin Phillips wrote that California is a leader perhaps only in thought and not in action because San Francisco has in a way stalled out on its reparations plan. The state plan, as you said, feels a little disorganized. What do you think about that kind of action versus thought leadership that California can offer other states? Well, for sure. I mean, I definitely think that, you know, I did read that column and I thought it was a very good column and a very apt column. Um, but yeah, I think we've gotten very far on the research front. Uh, I think the action front is where we are right now. And I think that, yeah, Evanston, Illinois has beat us on actually rolling out cash payments, actually giving people, actually making reparations a reality. Um, New York State is forming its task force right now. I will see how long that takes and how far they go. Um Massachusetts is as well. There's a few other states and a few other cities around the country that are doing so. But um, I still think California has the ability to set the tone on what reparations could be, what the vision for it could be, what the priorities of it should be, um, and how to communicate that to a broader public. You mentioned before that there's a real need for education in the state, for state voters to really understand California's history as it relates to discrimination against Black residents. And I wonder if you think the state is maybe moving too quickly here. Like, does this organization come from the state trying to push something through that, you know, this report only came out six months ago. Are we moving too fast? Um, Some would say we were moving too fast. There was an effort when the task force was still meeting to extend its work another year. It did not, that did not fly. I Personally, I kind of wish it had. I think we could have used another year to, to kind of bring everybody up to speed. But yeah, the public education component is really missing. And I think it's really tough, obviously, in a state this large um, to get that messaging across. And I think it's complicated by the fact that the way that reparations is being done, which is a very political process at the state level and multiple cities level, you know, if you're a resident in the state, it's probably really hard to understand how you know, LA is doing its own task force, San Francisco is doing its own task force, the state's doing its own task force, Oakland's doing its own task force, and whether they're connected, how they're connected, if they're not connected. And so I think to the average citizen to which we now are talking to, they're playing catch up. And I think that that's what we're seeing. I think in some of the polling, what we're going to see as these bills at the state level start to roll out um, and, and lawmakers, you know, react the way that they do. Um, but yeah, I think whatever we do here in California in terms of public education, the upside is I do think it will have national implications is in terms of educating the public across the country. So maybe when New York does get bills uh, before voters in the task force, it you know it's not such a weird concept that they've never heard of. Um, it is something that is, you know, people understand it more. And I think that we're, for the most part, most people just don't understand reparations still. You know, you, one of the things you wrote about in your column on this is that the, some of the bills, and I'm quoting here, seem well-intended but are head-scratchers. Um, what were you thinking of when you wrote that? <laughs> well, there's a few bills that, you know, at the time when the, the Legislative Black Caucus had released its list of bills, a lot of these bills were not fully cooked, frankly. They had like two-word sentences. Um, you know, they were uh, where it was really just not really clear what those bills actually did. There was one from Corey Jackson that talked about, you know, alleviating poverty, but it wasn't really clear why. There was another one talking about technical education. Um, there were a few that were very clear. The apology one was talked about, the resolution that would um, include some of the the text from the task force report and, and put it into the, the state record. Those are really clear, but there were others that were just kind of like, 
I'm not sure what the purpose of this bill is and how does it connect to the task force recommendations. And that's what I'm hoping to see as you know the weeks go on, that there's more of a direct link and more of a direct explanation as to why people should even want to support these bills. You wrote in your column that it, it seemed like there was some disagreement within the Black Caucus about how to bring these bills forward and how to really approach reparations now that we have this proposal and the goal of turning them into law. Can you tell us a little bit about what you observed and, and what you think that tells us about where reparations is in the state right now? I mean, I definitely think that there's some disagreement on, you know, what to prioritize. From my understanding, from talking to people and some of the lawmakers, you know, some people really wanted to push forth uh, financial issues, what not necessarily cash payments, but things that would have a budgetary consequence. Others were more focused on policies and, and things like apologies. And so um, there was some disagreement about what we should emphasize or what the state should emphasize. Um, but I think that's a reflection of the overall debate on reparations. Um, and we saw some of the same debate while the task force was meeting, where you had some task force members who were very adamant about you know, certain topics and others that were very adamant about other topics. And so this is such a broad subject and it's a complicated subject. It's a subject that, you know, I think, as you mentioned with H.R. 40, you know, black people have been talking about for for years and years before that, for generations before that. And so the idea of putting this not only into a research report, putting this into legislation, into potential law, I mean, in such a short period of time, we're going to have these disagreements. But I think the thing that a lot of people are pushing for, and myself included, is a little bit of leadership. Not to say that, you know, all of these things are not possible, but there has to be some sort of consensus on a priority on what we should do. And if only because that's the only way it seems this is going to go forward in a cohesive manner. And so that's what I'm looking for. And that's why I was a little bit disappointed by the initial uh, list of bills that were put forth. We are in a presidential election year, a congressional election year, a lot of things at stake. How do you see this playing out? How would you like to see it play out? But how do you think or fear it may play out in this presidential uh, election year? Yeah, I mean, in the it's, it's going to be a political football for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, once we kind of lock down at least our, you know, presidential candidates, which most people agree who those two people will be, um, obviously there's a lot of um, going to be a lot of talk, particularly from the right, uh, from the Trump camp on this. Um, there's obviously been a lot of attacks on reparations, the idea of reparations already um, while the task force was meeting. I see that ramping up as the election uh, becomes more uh, in the top of people's minds. I think even here in California, I mean, we see it, we've seen some conversations in the Senate race. I know uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee has come out pretty uh, strongly for reparations. Some of the other folks that she's running against have not. Um, so I don't know how important it's going to be uh, for people here in California in terms of like, is going to like determine who they vote for. But I think nationally, it's going to be hyped up into these different types of narratives that may or may not have any resemblance to reality by the time November rolls around. All right. That is LA Times columnist Erica D. Smith. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing, reading more of your uh, comments about this as it goes along. Thank you. All right. And before we leave, I just want to mention that tonight, the leading candidates for the U.S. Senate seat in California will be holding their second debate. Maybe reparations will come up. Who knows? Democrats Barbara Lee, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff will join Republican Steve Garvey. It is the first debate since ballots arrived in voters' mailboxes. And with the election just three weeks away and the race so tight, we're going to be watching. And we'll have more on that tomorrow on the show when Marisa Lagos joins us. And don't forget, if you have questions about your ballot, check out KQED's Voter Guide. You'll find it at kqed.org slash voter guide.
For now, that's a wrap for Monday, February 12th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Annalise Finney. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks